the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The church will yet arise. The winds of revival will blow through the church again. And serious men and women of faith with hearts filled with God's love will go out armed with the spirit to move the world by God's grace. That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. Here is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365. Just a few weeks ago, I was in the Middle East. In a country that is not predominantly a Christian country, that's best to remain unnamed. And there I had the opportunity of sitting and listening to miracle stories of the grace of God and how God is moving in ways and in places that we may not normally imagine. You and I sit tonight in relative freedom here in England, but that's not true with everybody in the world. This last year, a group of Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath keepers were on their way to church. It was Sabbath morning. And as they were coming to church, they were stopped by the militia in that particular Middle Eastern country. When the Bibles on the seats of their car were seen by the militia, these four men were taken captive. They were brought out of the city into the militia camp, and they were going to be tried for their faith and executed. They were put in a small prison at that camp. And as they were put in the prison, these four men knelt and began to pray. And they said, Lord, we simply were worshiping you, but we're willing to give our lives for you if necessary. And these four men said, in those moments, they really bore their souls before God. And in a moment like that, the depth of your Christianity is tested. In a moment like that, whether you have an authentic Christianity or it's just a facade, that is really tested. And these four men prayed through that Sabbath, all through the rest of Sabbath morning and through Sabbath afternoon, and they sought God. By the end of the Sabbath, they heard a battle going on outside of their jail. They looked out, and the earth was shaking. Another militia group had attacked that militia group, and the rockets were flying, the machine guns were being shot, and they thought, we surely are not going to make it out of here alive. We surely are going to be killed, executed, either by the militia group that captured us or killed during this war. As the bullets went on, these four men prayed through the night. About three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, it seemed to be silent. The silence continued till the early hours of the morning. As the sun rose the next morning, they looked out and didn't see anybody. 
They went to the prison door, and like the story in Acts chapter 12, when the angel opened the door that the church was praying, you remember for Peter? They opened the door of the prison and walked out. And they looked around, and the militia group that attacked them had fled because the other militia group had come and attacked this compound, and now the camp was empty, and these four simply made their way home. Their testimony was this. At a crisis, your commitment to Christ is tested. I interviewed one of our top leaders in one of those Middle Eastern countries. He had been kidnapped twice. And on one occasion, a gun was put to his head and he was told to give allegiance to one whom he could not give allegiance to. And fortunately, the Lord miraculously saved him. And the universal testimony of those that I interviewed in the Middle East was this. When you live where we live, there is an urgency to know that Christ is living in your heart. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the urgency of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are some things in life that are urgent. Not long ago, I read the story of a young woman who called the insurance company. And she said, I want to increase the insurance on my home. The man on the other end of the line said, well, madam, we certainly would be happy to increase your insurance. It's going to raise your payment, and you're going to have to come down to the office and fill out the papers. She said, sir, I don't think you heard me. I want to increase the insurance coverage on my home, but I need to do it immediately. I don't think you heard me, madam. You have to fill out some papers. You have to increase your premium. Come down to the office. Sir, I don't think you heard me. I can't come down to the office. Mister, my house is on fire, and I have to increase my insurance coverage right now. There are some things that are urgent in life. Some things one cannot put off. When the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, it never says tomorrow is the day of salvation. When the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, there's a certain urgency about it. HMS Richards was preaching on the signs of Christ's coming. HMS Richards, the old man of voice of prophecy, Lore, and he has, of course, died now. But Richards was preaching, and an old man in the audience stood up and he shook his finger at Pastor Richards. He said, Pastor Richards, Christ may not come for a hundred years. And Richards looked at him with a twinkle in his eye and he said, Sir, judging by your age, it's not going to be a hundred years for you. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is that the coming of Christ is really one heartbeat away. You know, if you die of a heart attack tomorrow, the coming of Christ for you is not going to be 100 years because the next thing you know is the coming of Jesus. So throughout Scripture, the Bible talks about urgency. The urgency of allowing the Holy Spirit to change your life. The urgency of allowing the Spirit of God to prepare you for the soon return of Christ. When you look at the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 24 and in Matthew chapter 25, we find two entire chapters dedicated 
to preparation for the coming of Christ. If you look at Matthew chapter 24, you have the signs of Christ's coming. Matthew chapter 25, you have three parables about preparation for Christ's coming. Matthew chapter 24, you're familiar with. It talks about wars and rumors of wars. It talks about famines and earthquakes and fires and floods. And often when I preach on that, people say, haven't we always had earthquakes? Haven't we always had famines and fires and floods and lawlessness? And haven't these things always been present in the world? And they have. But the issue in Matthew chapter 24 is the ever-increasing frequency of these signs and the fact that you see not one or two of the signs, but you see all the signs all the time. But tonight, our focus is not on Matthew chapter 24. It's really on Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 24 ends leading into Matthew chapter 25 with these words. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We don't know when he is here, but we know the time is near. And then it says, therefore, be also ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus is emphasizing at the end of Matthew chapter 24 two things. First, the urgency of preparation for his coming now. And the second is the fact that we are not sure when he's going to come. So since you don't know when, the only time to prepare is now. The only time to be ready is now. Then you go into Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus gives three parables, three stories about readiness. And it's the first of those stories that we want to study tonight. Jesus talks about the parable of the ten virgins. The five who are wise and the five who are foolish. This really is a remarkable parable. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are 21 parables that are listed as the kingdom of God parables. There are 21 parables and 14 of them, 14 of the 21 are listed as kingdom of God parables. When you have a kingdom of God parable, it's always a parable relating to the church. So when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, and you see those 21 parables, 14 of them are addressed to the church. 14 of them strongly appeal to the church and with different spiritual lessons. If indeed the parable of the ten virgins was given by Jesus to an end-time church, and if the modern-day gift of prophecy talks about that parable being fulfilled to the letter, it's really critically important that we understand this parable in the light of the second coming of Christ, in the light of urgency. So let's look at the parable. Matthew 25, verse 1. Can you read it together with me, please? Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Often a Bible text is filled with meaning, and sometimes we go over the text too quickly and we miss the meaning. So notice there are four aspects of this first verse. First, it's a kingdom of heaven parable. Every kingdom of heaven parable relates to the church. So this kingdom of heaven parable is not relating to the world. It's not talking to people out there. It's talking to people in here. It's not talking about secular postmodern worldlings. It's talking about God's people. So it says the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. The question is why ten? Why not seven? Why not three? Why not 12? In the Bible, numbers are significant. If you look at three, it's always a number of the Godhead. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the book of Revelation, you have the counterfeit trinity, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So three is always Godhead. 
When you look at four in Scripture, it's always universality. It talks about the four winds of the compass. When you look at 12, it's always completeness. The 12 patriarchs in the Old Testament representing complete Israel. The 12 disciples in the New Testament representing the 12 New Testament church. When you look at seven, it's always perfection. You have the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the sevenfold spirit of God. Ten, every Jew would have known what that meant. Here's why. Ten was the smallest number of men, Jewish men, that you would have to form a synagogue. So ten always refers to church or synagogue. Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hope Lives 365 is a donor-supported ministry. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. If you have been blessed by our ministry, go to our website, hopelives365.com, or call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. So 10 always refers to church or synagogue. So when you see 10 virgins, immediately that's a pointer to church. Then you have virgins. In the New Testament, a woman represents what? The church or the bride of Christ. Jesus is the husband, the church is the bride. And so 10 virgins, you're looking at the church. When you have an apostate church, the Bible talks about a spiritual adultery. James 4, verse 4, you know you adulterers or adulteresses, you've gone whoring out after the world. Revelation 17, you have the harlot woman. Revelation 12, you have the woman in white. So a virgin would be not any church, but a virgin is speaking about pure, chaste, true doctrine. So here you have a parable addressed to God's church who actually has lamps in their hand. And you remember what the lamp is according to scripture. See, the woman represents the church. The virgin represents the pure, true church. So this has to do with pure, true Christianity. There's nothing doctrinally wrong with these ten virgins. Ten is the smallest number of Jewish men that comprise a synagogue. So you have a very clear picture. The lamp, of course, represents the word of God. Read Psalm 119, verse 105 with me, please. Thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let me ask you a question. Are all of these ten virgins part of the true church? Are they? Sure. Do they all have a lamp, the word of God, in their hand? Yes. Do they all understand intellectually the truth of God? Certainly. And are they all anticipating the coming of the bridegroom? The Bible says in verse 1, they all went out to meet what? The bridegroom. So here you have a Bible-believing, health-reforming, Sabbath-keeping, Adventist church that's anticipating the coming of the bridegroom. But the scripture says five of them are what? Wise, and five are what? Foolish. 
Now, I'm not going to press the point of 50% at all. But five are wise and five are foolish. And they're church members. How in the world can you be foolish and know the truth doctrinally? Maybe the five that were wise were sleeping and the five that were foolish were wide awake. You think that's the solution? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Adventists that were foolish? Well, let's continue. Why are the wise wise? Why are the foolish foolish? Could I be a foolish virgin and not even know it? You think that might be possible? Do you think the foolish were consciously aware that they were foolish and the wise were consciously aware that they were wise? Well, the Bible says, while the bridegroom tarried, the foolish all slumbered and slept. Is that what the text says? When the bridegroom tarried, they what? All slumbered and slept. So were the wise sleeping. What does the text say? They all, all ten, were the foolish sleeping. Now, what happened before they slept? They all what? Slumbered and slept. You know, slumbering is you kind of sleep, you kind of slide into sleeping. You know, slumbering is kind of you're half awake and half asleep. You know, you're kind of drowsy. Your spiritual drowsiness ultimately leads you into a deep spiritual sleep. You know, you're kind of reading your Bible and you slumber a little and you fall asleep there. Now look, God's people are people with a message, a people with a mission, a people raised up to powerfully share the light of this world with the world in darkness. And God predicts prophecy after prophecy, that before the coming of Jesus, Jesus' people are going to rise to the challenge. They're going to be wide awake, filled with the Spirit, going to the ends of the earth to share his message. I think one of the most amazing prophecies on being wide awake is found in Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 4. It says, arise, shine. In other words, get out of your slumber, church. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Do we live in a time when darkness is covering the earth? Do we live in that kind of time today? Notice what it says. Deep darkness will be upon the people. Is the darkness of unbelief shackling people today? But the Lord will rise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. Isn't that an incredible promise? That the glory of God is going to rise upon the people of God. And filled with his spirit, they will become lights to the world. The Gentiles, who's that? Postmodern Christianity. Who is that in this application? It is secular people. It's people in England. It's people in Stanborough Park. It is people in the world in Watford and St. Albans. God is going to shine upon his people. The church of Jesus will arise. The Bible does not teach that God's last day church is going to be broken up, scattered, and God's going to raise up another movement. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that God's last day people are going to be revived by his grace, charmed by his love, transformed by the gospel, and they will go out to preach his last word to a dying world. The Gentiles are going to come to your light. The kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around and see. We lift up our eyes by faith. The seeds that have been sown in England for years through God's people are going to grow and blossom. The prayers offered by these pioneer preachers, the literature distributed, 
the meetings that have been held. God is going to water the seed you have sown. And the light of truth is going to shine upon this land. And God says, by faith, lift up your eyes around and see. They'll gather together. They will come to you. God is going to move through his people who are filled with his grace, charmed by his love, empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with the oil of his grace, Wise virgins, God's people will illuminate the world with his glory. They'll impact the world with his truth. Remember what it says in Revelation 18, verse 1? And I saw another angel come down from heaven, and the earth was lightened with his glory. The church will yet arise. The winds of revival will blow through the church again. And serious men and women of faith with hearts filled with God's love, will go out armed with the Spirit to move the world by God's grace. I wonder why, though. Why at times does the church seem powerless? Why at times do we seem to be in this slumber, in this sleeping mode? Notice what it says in Matthew 25, verse 1, back to the parable of the ten virgins. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. There's one thing for certain. The wise and the foolish both are slumbering and sleeping. So just before the coming of Christ, both the wise virgins and the foolish virgins are amazed at the rapidity of his coming. The events are taking place all around them, but even the wise virgins are surprised at how quickly those events take place and how rapidly we move in cataclysmic force toward the time of the end. The difference between the foolish virgins and the wise virgins is not that one group was awake and one group was sleeping. The difference is that one group had oil in their lamps, whatever that is, and the other group didn't. So it becomes critically important to discover what this oil is. Because the scripture says, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. So the coming of Christ surprised even the wise virgins. And at midnight, a cry was heard at the darkest point of this earth's history. Behold, the bridegroom's coming, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Now whatever this oil is, the foolish virgins know they don't have it just before the coming of Christ and they long for it and they ask the wise virgins for it. Now there's another point here that we shouldn't miss. We've already pointed out that the kingdom of God parables relate to the church. They relate to the true church, a church that has doctrinal purity. We've already seen that both the foolish and wise virgins have the Bible in their hands. We've already seen that they both are awaiting for the coming of the bridegroom. The other thing that's quite interesting is that they're together. They come to the same church every Sabbath. They sit in the same pews together. They go to the same fellowship meals together. So it's not that there's a separation at this point in the parable. The foolish and wise virgins are together. But the wise virgins answered, No, lest there should not be enough, that's oil for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Whatever this oil is, it has to be purchased. It's interesting. It doesn't say go get it free. How do you purchase this oil? What is this oil? 
And why is it that the foolish virgins don't have it and the wise virgins do have it? While they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those that were ready went into the wedding and the door was shut. In other words, there comes a point in one's spiritual life, if you don't have the oil, whatever it is, you can no longer get it. And the question is why? What is this oil? Now, if I ask the typical Christian audience and the typical Adventist audience, what is the oil, what would they all say to me? Oh, I knew you were good Adventists. I knew that. They would say the Holy Spirit. Now, what would my question be to you? Why oil? What are some of the other symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Give me some other symbols of the Holy Spirit. What are they? Water, a dove, fire, what else? Wind. Was the symbolism of oil chosen accidentally? Why doesn't God say, if you need more water, go get it? Water in the Bible is always a symbol of cleansing. It's a symbol of quenching thirst. It's a good symbol of the Holy Spirit. Wind is always a symbol of power in the Bible. Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it lists. You need spiritual power in your life. Why do you think that God precisely chose oil? And what is the significance of this oil? Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's message. Please join us when we conclude this story and this message tomorrow here on Hope Lives 365. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.